Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. In today's episode, I talk to the ISS, or International Service Systems, Head of Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging, Kat Parsons, about what diversity and inclusion really look like in the world of work in the 21st century. Kat talks openly and vulnerably about how her personal life and past employment experiences were a direct and significant influence on her groundbreaking policies for the workplace. We also look at box ticking, toxic work role models and being unapologetic for bringing all of who you are to work. Please join me as we look at life through a different lens. Hello, Kat, and welcome to the Perception Podcast. It is fantastic to have you join us today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, amazing. Now, um, we're going to talk about your job, your job role, which um, is Head of uh, Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging for the ISS, um, and that's what it says on LinkedIn anyway. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and then we're going to unpack really what that means, because I think a lot of people have uh, quite a shallow perception of what diversity and inclusion is. I think I think it's, you know, there, there is this perception of, of uh, box ticking. But before that, I'd like to ask you how you got into this role, um, uh, what what your journey was, mm-hmm. and did you see yourself <laughs> as the head of diversity and inclusion? No, no, I didn't. So uh, I completely fell upon it. So my so my background is uh, in environmental consultancy uh, on construction sites. So um, when I went to university, I knew I wanted to do something that was going to help the planet, and um, and I and I saw a, a prospectus. And it, there was someone in waders collecting water samples. I was like, that's great. Like, I don't want to be sat behind a desk all day. I want to be out in the world putting soil in jars and water in, in containers and stuff. And that, that's what I wanted to do. So I, I did that at university. I came out, got straight into a, into a job. But the the environment I was in was very male dominated. Um, and that was it, it wasn't quite a shock. I did have a lot of male friends uh, sort of through uni and stuff. So, you know, and I always uh, in terms of I was always up a tree or playing football or something like that. So it was it was fine but I realized very quickly I was having to work twice as hard as anyone else around me um to sort of to get where I wanted to go and I'm, I'm a very ambitious person like you know I always have been I'm not to 100 miles an hour at all times so I was getting quite frustrated in the industry that I was in that I wasn't progressing as, as fast as I should be compared to my male counterparts but there was sort of little bits along the way you know things change uh I became a parent and um and even that for me was quite tricky. Um, I didn't carry my kids, my ex-partner carried our kids. So when I went into this male-dominated environment, said, I'm starting a family. Um, they they knew I was gay at the time. I had I had come out. It was a bit of a cat flap, I call it. You're in, then you're out, then you're back in again. It depends sort of what, what environment you're in. It depends whether I say I've got a wife or if I haven't got a wife. It's it was always quite 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 tricky. But um, but when I was given a paternity policy that said, you know, the father will take two weeks off, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but I'm, but I'm not a father. I'm I'm a mum. I'm you know mum number two, mm. co-parent, and and I, that kind of cut me quite deep. Actually, I was thinking, mm. you know, I don't feel included in this business because you know you haven't got a piece of paper that fits me. And I think the the sort of that was very much the focus of my work. I went into more of a health and safety role, and it was around well being and things like that as well. 
five years on when we had uh, our second child I still had the same piece of paper and I was like why is this not come on like mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm not you know sort of the only person in the world who's gay who's um you know who's a second parent but you know the business hadn't sort of moved on enough to then create something that was inclusive for anyone so then it's people describe it as paper cuts you know you're never going to die from a paper cut but they really bloody hurt but it hurts yeah and they stay with you as well so I think there was a a lot around my uh my sort of you know sort of going through those you know 16 years I was in the industry was around collecting lots of paper cuts thinking this doesn't feel fair I'm having to work twice as hard to be visible and you know you have to be loud and you have to be you know you know there was in you know situations where you know you get to slam your hand on a desk or something that's like that's not me that's not how I work mm-hmm. but you haven't sort of fit into the environment you're in so um so I then decided that was it I'd had enough and was um, this and was this the construction industry this was the construction yeah. industry yeah so consultancy and it was very high pressure and it was about playing the game and um getting you know hitting targets and and I knew how to do that I, I, I'd worked out the rules to the game and I played it very well um but I was fed up of playing a game that you know it, it, I just it wasn't very happy anymore so I, I went for a change and I moved into facilities management which is what ISS do. And I had absolutely not a clue what facilities management at all. Um, it took me quite a while. It was that fake it till you make it. <laughs> well, well, I have to say, um, when I was looking for doing a little bit of research about the ISS, it took a really long time for me to actually find out. You know, I Googled, I thought, oh, Google, yeah, yeah I'll Google the I And I'm like, yeah. Okay, International Space Station. Space no. Station. That's where my kids thought I worked. When I got the job, they were like, You're working for the International Space Station? No, no, I'm not. No, sadly. Um, so no, so facilities management is basically anything to do with a building. So it's it's the catering, the security, the lights are on, the air conditioning, the it's it's the sustainability of the building, it's the people in mm. the building. So mm. so as a business, we don't have a product, we have people that create spaces that are you know, fit for, for anyone basically. So, um, for I look after UK and Ireland, which is around thirty thousand people. So that's that's you know a lot of people to make sure that they didn't feel the same paper cuts that I was feeling and that sort of injustice that I I felt at the time. So it, it is quite a heavy role, and we work with over five hundred clients from McLaren, who I was at yesterday, Lego, um, Royal Mail. NHS, you know, we're in all of these, you know, look around any city, you know, we'll, we'll be in that building, mm. you know, making sure that, you know, that they're functioning for the people that are in there. So, um, so the reach is, is absolutely massive. So I do do a lot of collaborative work with other um, clients as well, if there's topics they want to talk about that we do sort of joint pieces of work with. But so, it, so when I moved across to facilities management, I was in the health and safety role. That's what I knew. I, I knew how to create environments where people could say that doesn't feel safe. I'm going to stop the job. That was always something that I had managed to do throughout my whole career. I could build a relationship to say, I'm not here to cause you a headache. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd roll their eyes up. God, there's a woman on site. Oh God. <laughs> like she's going to just, it's it's all going to grind to a halt because I've sent a woman. So it was very yeah. much. Oh, she's like, going to complain. Yeah. 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 Here we go. Um, so it was very much about yeah building those relationships quickly to say look I'm not a threat I'm here to, I'm a professional person I'm here to do my job and I'm here to actually to make things better for you so tell me what the problem is and I will go and get the problem fixed you know we'll use the the tools and the mechanisms that are in place to our advantage and we'll we'll make change happen so I sort of took that that I'd built uh in obviously into health and safety and then uh, ISS decided that they wanted a, a head of DNI they'd wanted someone to sort of there was a lot of best practice that was happening around the business but there was no sort of one person coordinating all and making sure that it you know it was all being 
it was equitable across the whole business. We weren't just doing great work in healthcare and we weren't doing it in production, for example. So so I was asked to take the role. Um, and at the time, I had massive doubts whether I could do it or not. You know, I think it's very much like imposter syndrome. I was thinking I'm just, you know, middle management health and safety person who's quite loud. Um, I always say about going rogue and I had media training and the media trainer was like, don't say you go rogue. It sounds like you're like a wild <laughs> like cannon. But it, it was I think it's around finding gaps in a business. And that's that's what I did at the time. We didn't have a menopause policy at work. And I was mentioned my wife earlier. She um, had been really, really struggling for a period of sort of four or five years with her mental health and her well-being. And um, I'd come home from work and be like, I've had a great day. I've done this and I've done this. And mm -hmm. she'd be like, I've had another shit day. Like, I've just not got anything done. I can't get my head down. Like, you know, she's very data-driven her, in her job role. Um, and it was really impacting her. So I was really struggling at home with how to support her. Um, and then I was sort of going into work. And ISS is 57% female workforce. And I was like, well, not, why is no one else like struggling like she's struggling? So she's 51. Um, so this was sort of, you know, mid mid 40s, this sort of started, started happening. And, um, you know, she was having all these tests and stuff done. She was having migraines, like kaleidoscope migraines. She was having issues with the digestive system. It was all these bits and pieces. And I was convinced at one point she had either bowel cancer or a brain tumour or you know, mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, we never go to the doctors for anything, but no, it's not like it was sort of some sort of hypochondriac situation, but I was really concerned about her mental well-being and her, and her health. And then it turned out it was the menopause. So I went into work and said, you know, why are we not talking about this? This is not a topic. There's no policy. There's no support. There's no nothing. So I ended up writing a policy and I delivered, you know, I'd educated myself in my naught to hundred miles an hour um, mentality that I have on everything. I read everything I could read. I listened to every podcast I could. And I was like, right, okay, this is what we need to do as a business. So that's why I was asked to take the role on to then basically replicate what I created for menopause across other other topics. And that's what I've been doing for the last two years. Wow. Wow. Wowza. That's incredible. It's incredible because really, I mean, as I said, people's idea, I think, or their perception of diversity and inclusion and belonging is so is so one dimensional. And yeah. what you've done there is you've kind of uh, laid out a whole structure of support um, available for for staff, you know, uh, avail available for the female staff as uh, initially with this yep. with the the menopause um menopause scheme. I don't mm, know. What, yeah. 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 It's so yeah, it, it's it's interesting you you talked about menopause first because I think that only now, I mean it's crazy really we're in the 21st century and only now are people mm. really starting to understand or starting to talk in hushed tones about yeah. the menopause um yeah. and how it and the effects that it has on and the myriad effects that it that uh, the menopause has on women and from the age because yeah. because some women have early menopause from like I you do. know some women from in their late 20s yeah. early 30s and, you know, and the perimenopause really falls within sort of the mid-40s, really, I think, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sort that, of ten, 10 years, really. So you could be you could have symptoms like fee was for, for 10 years. And if you haven't put your finger on what it is 
And I felt so stupid at the time. When they said, oh, it's the menopause, I was like, I've got no idea what that is. I know that it's hot, hot flushes and it's that sort of, oh, you know, mid midlife, basically, it's that midpoint of your life. And, and that's all I knew. So I was so, I was really angry, actually, that I wasn't told more about this uh, as part of like my education. And, um, you know, my mum never talked about it. Um, but again, to be able to talk about it in the business, I found very quickly uh, that if I got the right people to say the word menopause without blushing or, you know, shying away, then I could get I could get others to then start talking about it. So I did a podcast uh, with um, our MD for banking, who's a wonderful woman called Nicola Morris. And I said, I want to do this. And she was like, right, great, let's do it. I, she said, I'm not holding back. You ask me anything you want to ask. So I was quite intimidated at the time because I was still quite a sort of junior in the business at this point. I didn't know. She was like this amazing managing director. So I sort of sat down with her and said, right, okay, you know, tell me, you know, this is my situation, you know, having to support someone with the menopause, you know, what's your experience? And she was going on about vaginal dryness and, you know, all of these sort of like, I was like, oh my goodness, like that's, a, you know, that's open, that's vulnerable, that's, yeah. You know, and actually what that did, she says even now, she will walk around her sites, the business, and people will stop her and say, do you know what, I've really experienced that as well. Like it was terrible. You know, how did you do the mm. following? So, yeah, I, I did the same thing with some male colleagues as well from different areas of the business that were looking after female teams, for example. That's really, again, some of them were quite young guys managing teams of, you know, 10, 20, 30 women. That's really difficult for a woman to then have to go to a guy and say, um, you know, I could do with a different uniform. This uniform's too heavy. It's, it's you know, I'm dripping yeah. with sweat constantly or that's really difficult to have that conversation. So by, again, getting men to be able to have a conversation empathetically and, and, and understanding the impact of, of our staff, you know, again, it just went absolutely like wildfire. And I, again, I can't walk down a corridor now without some, someone telling me about their HRT patches or their testosterone <laughs> that they've just changed to, which is absolutely fantastic. And it, it rolled into then we were talking about menstrual cycles. And I always talk all about my menstrual cycles all the time because they're horrendous. I've got fibroids. It's agony. Um, so I'll either be in bed for three days in a in a ball or I seem to cut in a coast through a month but I never really know so again it was that sort of I want to be able to bring in work to my boss and say I'm not coming in today because I've got menstrual issues I don't want to ring you up and say I've got a bit of a cold or I've got flu like I shouldn't yeah. have to hide yeah. something that's natural uh, that, I'm, that I'm struggling with so yeah and that's that's the source that worked yeah, and for them, and and I think you make a really important point there, a crucial point really, is to is to be able to ring in and to without shame, and to be yeah. able to be honest and to be able for the boss to understand that it isn't. Yeah. You know, if somebody if somebody rings in and says, actually, I have my period and I can't get out of bed because I'm in incredible pain for that boss to kind of go well that's okay I can understand that yeah. you know take your time but, you know what you know that yeah but yeah. again there's that shame isn't it you don't want to ring up and be the weak female that says I'm not here to because I'm on my period like again you see the adverts and there's like women running around the track you know <laughs> no, I'm not roller, <laughs> roller skating through the park with headphones yeah exactly oh, beautiful yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not going to be happening. But, um, not... No, no. I think, yeah, again, it's the perception, isn't it? That that's something that is happening to us. We have to be, we have to be ashamed and apologetic, ashamed of and apologetic for. 
when actually it's something that is out of your hands, it's out of your control. You can't control something that's happening every month. And I think, and I think, um, I mean, there are measures obviously that women can take to alleviate the, the pain, but if somebody has really horrific periods, they have horrific periods and that's, you know, they could, they could, there's yeah. not really much that they could do that they, that presumably that they aren't already doing. Um, yeah. And I think some of it is around, again, historically, like I think about when my dad went to work, my dad never took a sick day in 50 years, like, which is just ridiculous. And I'm sure he would have done at some point um, and just dragged himself into work. But I think there was always this sort of like work is work. You come into work. Yeah. And then you leave every other bit of crap at home. Like it doesn't matter if your kids are ill. It doesn't matter, if, you know, whatever it is that that's not, you know, you're two different people. You're in work and you're in professional work mode or you're out of work and you're and then you're whoever you want to, you know, whoever you are. But I think, again, this this thing around diversity inclusion is around bringing all of you to work, because surely and I always used to think this again when I wasn't out in my early career, would I have gone through my career? quicker if I had been authentic to who I was and brought all of me to work as opposed to having to sort of hide so people would say oh what are you up to this weekend I'd say oh I'm going I'm having a barbecue with my partner and then they would pronoun partner too oh what does he do for a living so you were having to sort of do this weird like mm. what am I saying what am I saying what am I saying you know don't get caught out so I was wasting all this energy trying to sort of hide who I was whereas if I'd just gone she's a woman you know mm. deal with it and then and carried on, you know, you know, would I have achieved more in my earlier career that I wanted to um, by bringing it all in? And and I think that's very much my mentality now. And the message that I push out across the business and across LinkedIn and, and everywhere is you, you are better being all of you and bringing all of you and don't apologize for having to nip off at three o'clock to pick the kids up because you've got kids. So that's absolutely fine. You know, don't hide these elements of your life you know, just go and do it, come back and, you know, and carry on. It's it's a different world now, I think, or, you know, that's how it feels anyway for me. Wow. That's, that's, that is incredible <laughs> because it is different world. It's funny when you were talking, I just thought, yeah, wow, don't be weak. You can't be weak and have a cold. Yeah. You can't, you can't. You can't. You, yeah. you know, somehow it's a badge of honour, but I've yeah. never had one sick day in my life. Um, I'd be I'd be saying then I'd be really worried about you if you'd never taken a sick day I'd yeah. be seriously concerned about you know your your mental health and well-being about why you feel you can you know yeah you, you shouldn't be in work and I think COVID really helped with that as well because people would drag themselves in and I remember sitting next to people at work and they have tissues and oh remedies and stuff and you're like oh god you're just going to give it to me like why have you come in you're just going to contaminate everyone else and I think mm-hmm. after COVID everyone's like look I'm not coming in today I'm working virtually because you know, I've got a cough, I've got a cold, whatever it is. Great. Don't don't give it to me. I don't want any of this. You know, I want to keep keep as fit and healthy as I can. Mm. You can work from home, you know, get better, take the rest you need. Don't, you know, spend four hours commuting or whatever it is. Look mm. after yourself first. So yeah, you know, I th- get them back into work quicker. I think that's one of the yeah, you're right. That's one of the only good things really that came out of uh, I think the pandemic is this uh, uh hybrid working being mm. integrated uh into work and actually businesses realizing that people can work from home and probably are more productive when they oh, work absolutely. from home yeah. um and and you talked there also what you said as well which i think is 
really fundamental to our our work health is being authentic and bringing all of ourselves not not being afraid to bring all of ourselves into work um who we are and how we're feeling i think mm. um yeah and i've got a lovely example actually of the last last couple of weeks we've we've done a lot of work around um lgbtqia plus community which obviously i'm i'm part of but um by sharing a lot around i've shared around you know just trying to start a family going through ivf those sorts of bits and pieces and the the, the heartache that, that comes with that and again that's outside of work but it's in work because it affects me mm. i was talking to um to a colleague uh in one of our teams and he is mid-60s and he said can i have a quick chat with you and i was like absolutely fine you know pop something in my diary we'll have a we'll have a virtual coffee and it turned out that he actually was trans he's a trans woman but outside wow. of work trans woman inside work pinstripe suit like man so i was like oh okay like great it, he's been in the business for eight months so he said but i feel that the culture that's in the business from people being so open and vulnerable and authentic is that actually i want to take my home life my home persona and i want to bring it to work so i'm actually me because i'm two different people at the minute I said, absolutely do it. So for the first time he, in 63 years, uh, he came in as his authentic self, came into the office. I had the most lovely meeting, cup of tea and everything else uh, with her in the office and no one batted an eyelid. If anything, everyone was like, fantastic to see you. You look amazing today. You know, it was, <laughs> it was so supportive, like amazing. You know, that's an absolute dream for me that you know, you go from must hide, must hide, must hide to actually, do you know what? You, you can have it. You can have it all. So now D comes in the office every day as, as D because that's who she is. Wow. My God, that's that's a real achievement to be able to create an environment where people feel safe enough to be that vulnerable and to share. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. And this is this would be great. Oh, sorry, you want to say? Oh, I was just going to say it, it's it's. But the thing, the thing is, I collect, I collect all these stories and these examples because I can then share that, and then that then inspires someone else, yeah, to say actually, you know, I'm the same. And again, what was interesting is we've just done a survey, and again, it's yes, DNI is around data as well, and there is some tick boxing that needs to happen, but the tick box needs to be done in the right way. So we did a data survey to give us an understanding of the demographic of our business, and it turns out from the people that. Um, that did the survey, which is probably about ten thousand people. We've got around twenty-four trans colleagues that are in the that, that work in organisation. I only know two of them now. So where mm. where are the rest of them? So it's it's great that they felt that they could tick a box and didn't want to go for the I'd prefer not to say I don't want to disclose. You know that yeah. kind of thing. They've they they've put it. Now it's my job to now spread the word about the trans colleagues that we do have in the office, so that you then create a network, so that you know if if they want to, they have that shared space as part of the Pride um, Employee Resource Group, for example, that they can say, well, actually, I've transitioned in work and where's our policy or this has been my experience or this is I've been stopped from using the toilets, you know, whatever it is so that we can learn and then and then improve. Yeah. But that 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 tick box thing is is, you know, I know of people that will right. we need to have more diversity in engineering. We need to get more women in engineering. We need to tick a box to say we've hit 40% or whatever it is. But if you don't do the work behind 
the scenes of that, because I can go and say, right, go and get 40% female engineers. And the recruitment team will go and find those individuals. Great. Tick box done. But if you don't create the environment for those people to thrive and to feel safe and to flourish, I've completely wasted my time and so has everyone else. And then they'll just leave the business in 12 months. So what was the point in ticking the box in the first place? So I'm not on board with, with any of that. I'm never about a tick box. I want the full package every single time. Well, what you said there was really about inclusion when you when you you know you talked about those uh, the the twenty four trans um, employees feeling included. You know that really is inclusion, hitting the nail on the head. And also, I think what you said there about creating this in creating this environment where those you know, for example, those forty engineers will feel that they can flourish mm. is is really important because there are, as I said, this perception of diversity, you know, this perception of diversity and this perception of inclusion and lots of businesses. I think, I think you, you are quite unique uh, in your approach. And that's why I got you, you know, on the show to, to spread the word. Um, um, Because I do think a lot of businesses are, not even really aware actually of the demographic that they or a lot of organizations or industries aren't i don't know what are your what are your views on kind of like for example construction you know that's a that's a that's an industry that is very heavily male uh dominated what are your views on how a diversity and inclusion is operates within say something like construction that it's it's so difficult because it's around um yes they're very male dominated but i think there is a there's like almost like a blueprint so when i was saying before like when i used to come onto site and i'd have my rigor boots my hard hat and everything else and i'd get the roll of the eyes there's a woman <laughs> i had to do the oh the traffic was shit and that was a nightmare and blah 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 so that I I I I was copying I was that chameleon thing I was copying what they were doing so that I then fitted into that environment all I did was actually just make the situation probably worse because mm-hmm. I don't know who that guy was that I was you know I'd meet hundreds of people every week so I was just sort of creating that sort of toxic culture of must swear must you know must you know act like this strut around site in my in my rigor boots because that's what I felt I needed to do and that's mm. what I could see on site. So interestingly, my wife is still in construction. She she's environmental as well. Um and she, she says exactly the same thing. It's still exactly the same now that there's men that feel that they need to be loud and swear and be heard and be visibly sort of I'm, you know, I'm in control of you know, this, 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 and, you know, there's all this effing, jeffing and slamming and all sorts of stuff that you absolutely don't need. But then everyone copies because that's, that's a person of leadership mm. on site. So if, if you're a young engineer on site, you're going to copy that because that's what you're seeing as a role model. Mm-hmm. If you, so if you don't, you know, if, if you don't have those visible role models on site, we're just carbon copying every single time that, you know, this construction job. Um, but how do you reverse that is so difficult. And I speak to a lot of women in the construction industry because, again, that's my background. 
and it's so difficult. It's like the same things every time. Like, you know, you're sort of stumbling to sight, and then it's almost seemed like, well, you know, you can wait. You're not that important. You know, wait there. You know, there's things around the toilets, and never, you know, you have to ask for a key to unlock the toilets. So you, then, almost the power dynamic is in the hands of someone else. Oh, can I please have the toilet? Because I need you know, the toilet key. I need the toilet. Mm-hmm. But like I don't, again, I don't want to go and have to keep asking for that. That's just ridiculous. But I think uh, there's a. So I, I say I mentioned earlier, I've got two kids: a, a 14-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl. And what I find really difficult is I'm all for girls rule the world. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. Nine-year-old, you know, Laurie. She plays rugby. She's does gymnastics. You know, mm. she's going to be a CEO one day. She's absolutely flying. She's phenomenal because we're empowering her. As you know, especially the fact she's got two months, mm. she's empowered. You can do whatever you want to mm. do. What I find really difficult is having a teenage son. He's using a mug that is his sister saying, "Girls with the world." How does that make him feel? Does mm. that make him feel valued and visible? You know, no, it doesn't. So there's an element of diversity inclusion. Is making sure that, and I get this quite a lot of work is that how do we make men feel included in DNI? Because yeah. I've because they managed to get through to sort of positions whether they were capable and competent or not. I think there's now a lot of unrest that suddenly people are going to get found out that I've managed to get into this role and actually I am a toxic leader and I'm not role modeling what I should be. And there are now, you know, they're being found out and it's, you know, we want to get more diversity in this area or more ethnic minorities or more people with disabilities. I think they feel quite threatened. So there is a lot of noise there. I think a lot of that noise about it being woke and it being tick box and it being comes from there. But what I worry about is my 14 year old son, where's his space in, in his career when he makes that step in into whatever he wants to do, because he's now, you know, Oh, we don't really want a white man. We need more diversity in this, 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 and this. Mm. So it's very much around allyship as well. And that's something that I, you know, we talk a lot about with with him is it's about using your voice for others who don't whose whose voice isn't as loud. So using his privilege, but equally making him feel visible and um make him feel visible and empowering him again to do exactly what he wants to do, but in a way that is role modeling for others and being authentic and being vulnerable and being empathetic and being you know all of this stuff that I don't think he necessarily sees um you know when you Andrew Tate you know that sort of thing that's all over the media yeah yeah absolutely horrendous what sort of role model is that um so it's so difficult so again it is yes it is my job in terms of work but it's all of our jobs in terms of who's in our family who's in our homes who's in the backseat of the car listening to the conversations we're having some huge responsibility yeah I think you make a really uh sensitive point about also supporting young men who are uh who may feel that they are in some way maligned um and and helping them understand that actually it's about equity <laughs> you know things are yes. how we're moving it's about it's about equity equality and yeah equality and diversity um but also that whoever and again this is about authenticity about love whoever you are whoever that is 
you know, whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you bring is who you are. And that's, that's acceptable. That That's completely acceptable. You are, you know, you are who you are and that that's, there's nothing to feel ashamed of or, mm. um, or, uh, embarrassed or, uh, sorry for, I think. That's, that's a really good point as well. So my son is, uh, autistic ADHD and um, I think I've been quite concerned I, I mean even when he was at school like his teacher would just say oh he's not designed to be sat by the desk he's designed for forest school you know you sort of again mm. you hear these bits and again that's paper cut for me <laughs> that's it he's never going to survive in a work environment what's it going to do for a, for a career but what's interesting is so again as part of my work is making sure that every step of the process in terms of like an employee life cycle so from the moment you apply for a job you get your interview you know all the way through your journey in the business from learning and development and everything else to the point you leave it needs to be fair but absolutely everyone and that does not mean one size fits all there's no like silver yeah. bullet so so for rowan my son if um i always use this example if i ask rowan to let the dog out the dog gets let out the back door and then the dog will sit in the back door and bark and bark and bark, bark. And I shout and say, Rowan, like, why is the dog barking? Like, why have you not let the dog back in? And he'll say, well, you asked me to let the dog out. Yes, but I assumed that then you would pick up the cue that the dog needs to come back in again. Mm. And then you do that. Whereas if I ask my daughter to let the dog, the dog out, the dog is let out, let back in again, given breakfast, given a tummy tickle, blah, 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 probably bathed, you know, walked. She'd probably do all of, mm. you know, she'd do the whole lot because she understands that in me asking one thing, there's a chain reaction of then what happens next Mm. so I so it's that communication of I've got to ask the same I want the same result but I need to ask it in two very different ways and for me that was like light bulb moment I'm going into work and I'm interviewing people in a competency-based interview to say tell me a time you've led a team tell me a time that you found challenging tell me about a time that you've and if I asked my son that question he'd be like oh you know tsunami of I can give you so many ideas. Which one do I pick? I don't know. I can't articulate it. Like it'd be an absolute car crash. You'd never get it out of him. Whereas my daughter would just, she'd talk to you for about six hours about what she could (laughs) demonstrate. So, but if I spun the question around, and this is an example that happened at work actually with a really great guy uh, called Jack, who was going for a, he manages accounts and stuff. He's absolutely brilliant. The One of the best guys you could ever work with. He was going for a promotion on a different account, slightly further step up everyone knew what he could do already he'd already demonstrated that he's been in the business for five years so this was just basically the tick box to say we've done the interview jack's the best person for this job carry on jack is dyslexic so he then went into this interview and they were tell me about the time you've managed a team jack tell me about the time that you've and he like couldn't couldn't get it out couldn't articulate couldn't think couldn't in the environment that he was put in mm-hmm. so it got to the point he finished the interview and they were like, well, you know, what do we do? We're cut. Like he scored so low because the examples were just so not on point. They were, you know, he'd, we'd basically set him up to fail. So uh, and there was a conversation about, right, he needs to be re-interviewed. And this time, you know, give the example. The ceiling is caved in. There's water going everywhere. What are you going to do, Jack? And he could tell you exactly what to do because you'd given him a specific example for him to then go, great. I can hang my hat on that. I know what to do. I would do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and he got the job and he's absolutely flying and he's a fantastic person. Isn't that... But we, it... would have, we would have lost him, wouldn't we? we? We couldn't have given him the job if we'd done it the traditional way. 
But that's it. One size does not fit all. And it's about, as I was saying to you earlier, I think I said the quality of the question is entirely dependent on the quality. Sorry, the quality of the answer is entirely dependent on the quality of the question and understanding that everyone, as you've said, so beautifully there that amazing two examples of your, your you know the dog and also of uh you know this guy who's gone in for the interview it's just yeah allow people to allow people to succeed by asking them questions that they understand i mean i i do find the whole idea of it's quite it's quite linear and quite um you know one dimensional uh, a lot of a lot of interview questions it would be great if if interviewees just said could you please rephrase the question mm. because i don't understand what you mean and to be able to say that not have this fear of oh my god i can't tell them i don't understand because yeah. that's it i've lost the job when they 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 might be the best candidate for the uh, for the position yeah, yeah. wow for for me it's around it's how it's almost like having a passport. How do you get the best out of Cat Parsons? If you want the best out of me in a work environment, um, don't give me a call at seven in the morning because I'm <laughs> not switched on. Uh, but I'm fine in the evening. So if I've got global calls and it's nine o'clock, that's fine. You know, I don't like traveling into work every day. I'm going to be knackered. So, you know, don't make me come into work five days a week. Um, you know, there's, there's all these sort of quirks and bits of it. You know, I like to pick the kids up on a, you know, a certain day so I can take them to their clubs. You know, if, if you want the best out of me, then it's almost, you know, do these things and then you'll get 100 percent of, of me. And I've got examples again around, again, linked to menopause, I, I suppose, is I used to manage a woman in my team who, you know, she was not switched on before 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, her brain just not had not woken up. You know, it just was, you know, a real effort. So my job as her line manager was if I saw a call go in before 10 o'clock in the morning, I would decline the call. Let's have the call later in the day because why would I make her sit through a call when I know she's not going to be taking it on board or going to be giving me the answers that I want because she just hasn't it's just not the right you know the setting for it so I again you're setting people up to fail so if you can work out this the secret you know of, of how everyone works specifically for them on an individual basis it's going to benefit you as a business because of productivity. It's going to benefit the person in terms of they're going to, you know, they're going to succeed. They're going to want to do more. They're going to be ambitious. They'll be happy. They'll be motivated. You know, so why would you not spend the time to get to know and build those relationships with people so that you get the best for everyone? Yeah, I think that's, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there <laughs> in terms of, in terms of employees feeling recognised and safe and heard in their work, and that's when and that's when people are going to produce their best work because they're happy. They're happy yeah. in their working environment because of all these things. That, that I think it's that. I think really it's that element of being reckoned, of being seen, being yeah. seen and being heard. Yeah. That really, yeah. um, that really enables people to feel safe and free. Yeah. You know that yeah. they can, that they can just kind of get on with, get on with work. And and also, I think this idea of you know things aren't wrong; they're just different. Mm. Mm. 
because I think there's a lot of the in in a lot of businesses there's this idea that that there's a right way to do something and it has to be done that way. Yeah. As opposed to well, actually, as you just you know you just said that we can do things in in different ways to suit that employee. And it just takes you know yes, it takes more time and effort, but surely in terms of your attrition rate, people are going to stay in a business longer when they know that they are, as you say, seen, visible, heard, safe. You know, the company takes the time to know how you tick and therefore, you know, what you want to be and, you know, our employee value proposition to take it back to sort of corporate. But I absolutely love it is be who you are, become what you want and be part of something bigger. So I can absolutely say I am 100% who I am. You know, on any day of the week, you've got Cat Parsons, the full, the full Cat Parsons is coming <laughs> to work. Become what you want. I'm in a position that I never thought I would be able to do, that this was never on my career path. It completely threw me when I was offered the job. But I was seen that I had a skill set that could be utilised as a business and they could see that I would thrive in it. So I, I was, you know, guided quite firmly into this position. And, you know, I'm absolutely flying and I, I would never go back to a, another role. This is, this is a role that I will now continue to do the rest of my career and be part of something bigger. You know, I have that, that responsibility now that it's not just a case of, what we do within our business, you know, with our doors closed, you know, we're making something that's amazing here. Don't share it with anyone else. You know, I'm actively told, go and tell everyone how we're doing this and what we're doing and give them the examples. Go and work with organizations, talk to our competitors, you know, go and go and do it, go and spread the word because it because it's not just about what what we're doing. It's how again again I said before, we're a people business. So go and tell other people how to support people. Like why would you why would you not share that? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really perfect and a really uplifting and perfect way to 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 end our amazing conversation and enlightening conversation and the conversation that you've kind of I think uh opened the doors of perception in terms of what happens within work and how we can make work a better place. So can you just say that again? Be who you are. Be part of something become bigger. What you want and be part of something bigger. Be who you are, become what you want, and be, be part of something bigger. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming in, Kat. It's, it's, oh, it's been, been so been Oh, it's been so wonderful to have a conversation with you. And and can you, if people want to know more about you, they can find you on LinkedIn. Um, do you yeah. have do you have a contact that you can give out or how do people contact yeah you? so link linkedin is uh is is where i tend to hang out most um there is actually there's a website that i've actually built with my wife as well which is around uh an all-female build that we're doing as well so if you want to have a look at what we're doing oh there wow as well. it's uh we're doing a renovation and a huge extension on our house and we decided um to be positive disruptors because it's better than saying go rogue uh and we're doing it with an entire female team so you can look that up as well which is uh, www.all-female-build.co.uk Perfect, thank you and what I will do is I will put all your your details on uh, in the show notes uh, and thank you again it's been wonderful and thank you. thank you everyone thank you everybody, lovely listeners for listening to this episode of the Perception Podcast uh, please like I always say this, please like, follow share, subscribe, let other people know Um, And I will see you and speak to you next week on the Perception Podcast. Bye.